This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is 553. It's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Ravi Chopra, CFO of Sonic Wall, the network security company that had been acquired by Dell in 2012 and spun out in 2016, opening the door to Ravi Chopra, a seasoned finance executive charged with leading Sonic Wall's finance team and function. But wait, what team? What function? Chopra is tasked with rebuilding from the ground up a function capable of serving a $100 million company. As Chopra explains, inside the realm of carve-outs and spin-outs, it's all about speed to infrastructure. Our discussion begins after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Lazard uh, Flares, it's a New York based investment bank. 
Chambers, or I think you would probably agree with that. Your uh, career uh, overlapped or was part of that era. Am I right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I was there with John, John Chambers, was, was, was there, and uh, very lucky to actually have spent time because he is uh, he's just an outstanding leader. I think the way he handles success and failures and just his, uh, his, ability, his ability to connect with people was, was just amazing. I feel and 
go um, and, and transact online, we are in the business of protecting your business. So, uh, Sonic Bond's been around for, for quite a few years. Uh, it, it was um, acquired by Dell about um, five years ago, and then subsequently um, it was divested by Dell, and we're currently owned by a private equity uh, firm. And we are growing this company to offer a wide variety of um, um, anti-malware and, and threat prevention uh, software, and we also changed this business dramatically over time. You know, I uh, I don't mean to mislead you because I want to. I do want to have you reflect back on your career some more with us up front here because uh, now that I understand more about Sonic Wall and the type of unique opportunity this was for you, and uh, looking back, it occurs to me that you. Uh, we're at Juniper Network and spent a decade there, which is quite a, a, a career investment that you made there. Um, your decision to join Sonic Wall, what was it? What did you see? Why was the time right? What was it? There were other opportunities put in a decade your way that you didn't get. Why was this one mistake? Yeah, sure, Jack. Uh, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, I, I did learn most of anything I know today at uh, Juniper, um, primarily two reasons. One, of course, uh, extremely lucky to have been mentored by the uh, uh, Chief Operating Officer and the CFO at that time, Robin Denholm, who continues to be my mentor today. Um, uh, many people will probably know her as the chairperson of Tesla Motors. Um, so I was mentored by her. She located me through a bunch of opportunities, starting from uh, treasury, corporate development, corporate FBA, business finance, product finance, investor relations. And what that did was it rounded me up to be the finance professional that, that I am today. Um, and I can't stress enough for, for everyone who's listening that, you know, going through different roles within finance, you get a really good appreciation of the different aspects of finance, the different aspects of a business, because what's important today is you want to be an operational CFO. And that leads me to why I joined SonicWall. So there are lots of opportunities, obviously, around. Many of us will, will, will look at opportunities and want to jump into those. Uh, I looked at uh, many opportunities. With SonicWall, the biggest thing were, uh, was that SonicWall has great technology. It was part of um, Dell. And in the divestiture, uh, there were two things. One was you wanted to almost have to build this company from scratch because we came with no infrastructure. All our finance and IT infrastructure belonged to Dell. So it was almost like a startup. You have to build infrastructure again. Uh, now it's a running company with uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of revenue and, 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 and profits. Um, and uh, at the same time, you need to turn this company around to make it grow because it had sort of stopped growing as part of a business unit within Dell. So two challenges, both which you can get in a startup, but now you're doing it almost at a company which is a running company and not like a $10 million startup, right? So that opportunity, um, just when I looked at it from what I could offer, just it had everything for me. And, and, and the most important thing, of course, is it was standing on solid ground, great technology, because without great technology, they difficult to survive, uh, especially in the tech world, right? So, um, so that's what attracted me to Sonic Wall, and that's what got me here. That's got to be 
be such a sort of a unique experience. I don't know how. Of course, it does happen, but I'm thinking that you you step into a role and you get to architect more or less the function, the finance function, just because it's uh, as you just described. There were perhaps some components there, but it wasn't a, a fully mature function that could operate in as an independent company. Am I describing that correctly, or would you put it differently? Yeah, no, absolutely, Jack. Uh, I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, when we, uh, at the time of divestiture, um, we, we were running on a DRP system that belonged to Dell. So uh, we had to transfer as, uh, into our DRP system. I had probably three finance people of my own. Uh, and so uh, not only did I have to hire the next 30, 35 people, uh, over the next uh, six months, also needed to transfer um, all the ERP over. So, um, and also get us through our first full audit, finance the company, uh, go through capital raising. So, everything in a, in, a, in a span of one year, basically take a business unit, extract it, and set it to be a running company on its own so it can now start scaling into growth. So, yeah, it was an amazing challenge, and I think we've come on the other side. Uh, when you uh, mapped out uh, the finance function, the pieces that were missing, uh, if you did this 10 years ago, you might have designed a different function in certain respects, or all the same components the same. Um, uh, again, we keep, we keep on hearing how finance is evolving. Maybe there was some piece of this that you no longer saw as a priority that maybe you would have 10 years ago or longer. So, uh, I think, uh, great question, Jack. You know, what I would say is, I, I say that uh, there's a sort of, there's a sequencing to what you need to do. Um, the basic infrastructure that you need to set up to run a company from a financial perspective uh, sort of remains the same. Um, now, there was a time when, when people would over-engineer, for example, ERP implementations, they would over-customize it. Uh, the thing that I did differently now, because I've learned this uh, looking back from my experience in previous farms, was um, I don't want to custom over-customize anything, because most people will know that if they want to set up an ERP system uh, and they over-customize it, it not only takes a very long time, but also in that extreme customization, you're now always dependent and you're slow. Um, so we, we took basically of vanilla function, we didn't try and customize too much, and then we implemented very fast. So I think that the speed of implementation to get our infrastructure ready was, was sort of critical. I think the second part is, is driving growth, and this is where the operational experience comes in. Because, you know, setting up, setting up a finance function, hiring finance and accounting folks, super critical. Of course, I, and, you know, maybe later in the podcast I can talk about what I look for when I hire those folks, but um, getting this company to run operationally efficiently so that we knew where we wanted to invest and where we didn't want to invest. I think that getting to that part quickly um, was very critical for us. Rather than spending four years or three years, you know, just trying to, to set up this company, the infrastructure took less, uh, less time than Maybe if I tried to do this 10 years ago. Yeah, it's, I'm assuming this is a, a SaaS uh, solution uh, or a SaaS model. Is it? Yeah, it is. I can see it. Yeah, yeah. So, so we would say, okay, so it's going to be recurring revenue. It's going to be customer lifetime uh, value. 
value? What the metrics that are top of mind for you? What would you share with us? And maybe, maybe I, I, I'm looking for something that we haven't heard of before. It might not come, but what would you tell us? Yeah, so we um, have a couple of metrics that are very interesting. I'll give you one, one stat that we've publicly talked about, uh, and, and that is, uh, you know, when we took, um, uh, when we took this company over from Dell, uh, we used to sell, I think, about, let's call it 50% of our uh, business was hardware, 50% was software, recurring revenue subscription, right? So 50% was subscription. In a matter of two years, we've gone now where 50% recurring revenue has become 70% recurring revenue, right? And we've also uh, established some of our own, um, uh, you know, follows uh, with SaaS uh, offerings as well along the way, just standalone software offerings as well. So, so one was to change the business model from sort of equal weight to hardware to now predominantly software subscription revenue. I would say the um, there is a standard metric, obviously, we all use customer retention or renewal rates, uh, which, are, which are really important. Um, but I think the, the thing that I might want, um, want to talk about, which your um, uh, podcast listeners would be interested in, is, is when you have a when you have a product offering which has um, hardware and embedded software and then add-on software, what you need to look at is where is the value, right? Now, most people will say, well, there is really no value in hardware, which is both true and false. Uh, there is enough value in hardware, but if you look at most technology companies, we do spend a disproportionate share of our R&D investments in software. Uh, even companies which are predominantly hardware, they spend a lot more money on software. So it's how do you pivot your value creation and your pricing strategies more towards software. So move the customer away from hardware orientation to software orientation to, so that the customer is now purchasing where you are putting your investment and where you as a vendor think that is greatest value. So um, our, you know, if you buy, for example, a firewall from SonicWall, the, the hardware is obviously optimized, but what you're buying is the, the subscription services on top, which are you know, uh, things like anti-spyware, content filtering, sandboxing, those kind of things are where the value is. So I think it's looking at your product offerings and pivoting more towards where your investment and your value creation is. That is probably more important for a SaaS play or a software focus play versus, you know, the, uh, the other metrics of software subscriptions, et cetera, uh, the new rates, et cetera. So I don't know if it, that, that helps or not. I'm happy to uh, I'm wondering if, uh, over time, as you want your team to collaborate more, uh, help understand some of the challenges that perhaps the sales team has or the marketing team, as finance tries to partner with the business, let's put it that way, um, whether there are new numbers that you're, you're looking to uh, bring out for the sales team to keep top of mind, whether there are parts of the organization that you're sharing more numbers with than perhaps you had in the past or, or in an early part of your career or another finance function, you would never have shared these numbers. But now you are. Now you're creating greater transparency or visibility into numbers uh, to change behaviors, whatever it might be. Is anything like that happening? Yeah, absolutely, Jack. Um, I would say um, we have broken out how we do our billings of bookings into, uh, into different surveys. Uh, 
read too much into this privilege, but I, uh, one example of that would be um, distinguishing what is your current run rate for renewals business from sort of new bid business. Because, um, yes, you can always be what people say farming, right, uh, in your renewals business. Uh, the focus has to be new logo creation. So, when we took over this business, uh, it was just one number sum, right? Uh, everyone looked at the total number and said, okay, there's a number, and we need to grow this, or this is what's happening to it. But no one looked at it by siblings. What's happening for a run rate perspective? What's happening to renewals? How much is the channel contributing? How much is sort of direct touch uh, contribution? Are we getting new logos? Are these bigger logos than before? And let's look at deals by deal size, right? The smaller deals are brought in by the channel. The larger deals are brought in by more your own direct touch, sort of, quote-unquote, enterprise kind of sales forces. So um, I know a lot of people have done this. I think trying to look at the business in, in different families is something that Sonic Wall has never done before, and that's what my team uh, brought to the table. And so today, when we do our sales forecast, the sales forecast are obviously done by region, but they're predominantly done by siblings. Excellent. Thank you. That's a, a great example of what I was looking for. Um, we want to ask you what we refer to as our signature question. And does anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? Um, so, obviously, there have been, there have been a few. Uh, I think the one that sticks out, Jack, for me um, is uh, I would say the experience taught me more. Uh, than the insight. The insight, I'll, I'll tell you about, uh, and I, a lot of our listeners will probably um, uh, have maybe gone through something like that. So, and one of my earlier companies, um, obviously public, uh, we had um, an activist investor um, uh, that, that took a large um, uh, share of uh, equity um, and basically agitated for uh, massive cost reductions, right? Uh, exiting portfolio, uh, uh, parts of the portfolio, massive cost reductions. And, and while I look back at that time, and I think I played uh, more here during that time because I was, uh, I was basically the VP finance uh, running the entire process with a consulting company uh, on restructuring. Um, I think I gazed a lot. Uh, it was not a pleasant experience. Uh, a lot of finance folks have to be at the center of sort of restructuring a company. Never a fun job. Um, I think, you know, what, what that taught me was uh, something I sort of knew with the experience of uh, sort of amplified, and which was primarily this. Um, you can cut costs, you can restructure your way, and if you're a public company and you, you know, lighten the load, so to speak, of the overhead, um, uh, you're going to show more, more profits, right? Uh, and, 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 and sometimes the market is short-term focused. They will, they will say, okay, uh, you're showing more profits, so stock price will probably rise, right? However, as almost everyone knows here, um, you can't cost-cut your way out to growth, right? And so the, the good and bad with sort of um, some of these uh, very quick um, measures for restructuring is that they, um, while they may or may not, Become uh, value creation uh, exercises for the future. Um, it, they, they do disrupt the business a lot, and they are not a recipe necessarily for growth. Growth still, for most companies, doesn't have to be tax, right? It can be anything. I mean, uh, 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 you know, it can be in automotive, it can be manufacturing, anything. 
it comes from innovation, right? And I think the uh, what what I what I took away from that was really, and, and that's sort of what led me to uh, to Sonic Wall as well, is that I could re-engineer, I could financially re-engineer, I could do a lot to the company. However, what will really really drive long-term growth is innovation. And does it have the chops to to be an innovative company or not? And I think that. And finance folks, I think, are, you know, if you are a operational focused finance professional who can see many parts of the business, many times the data is right in front of you, right? And you just have to look at it and, and take a step back and say, am I innovating? Am I, are we creating, are we investing in the right places where there's, where there's longer term creation, uh, value creation? And I think the, 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 the thing that I learned from there was just, can't fast cut your way out to growth. Um, you can maybe make yourself slightly efficient for, for the shorter term, but if you if you want to grow a company, you've got to invest in innovation. So uh, that that was a. Uh, I mean, this this story can go for for much longer, but <laughs> it was uh, uh, it was quite an interesting experience for me. It's something that uh, I'll never forget. When we return, we enter the mentoring round with CFO Robbie Schultz. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're back and we're entering the mentoring round with CFO Robbie Chopra. Robbie, what is it that's exciting you about finance and business today? Um, so, um, you know, what is exciting about finance today is that, you know, if you sort of look, take a step back from everyone wants to be um, a strategic CFO, right? So, what does strategic CFO means. Um, you know, what it, what it means for me is, is someone who can look and assimilate a vast variety of data and, and, and then um, try and look around in the environment that you operate. So from that, what do I mean? You have to be as a finance person talking to customers, talking to your distributors, talking to your suppliers, you have to be part of sales meetings. If you have to be part of product finance, um, product strategy. And, and the reason I say this is, you know, strategic doesn't mean that you have to be a jack of all trades. Strategic means that you have to have an appreciation for every different area on what is happening in the company and how this company is evolving. And then you have the biggest tool at your, uh, in your hands, which is you have access to all the data. So if you look at the data, now when you're crunching or you're analyzing the data, you can actually derive insights that you would probably never derive if you just looked at the data without understanding any of the other parts of the business. So my biggest 
just sort of mentoring advice to folks, and I've been doing this for a while, which is um, it's hard to step out of your office. You've got to go talk to a sales guy and just say, hey, can I come on a customer call with you? Or can I go to a partner meeting with you? You have to be external focused. It cannot be internal. That is where I see finance changing. I'm not saying that you, you have to suddenly become a salesperson or, or something else. It is how you become more strategic is how you absorb all the other inputs that you get and then you use data to analyze and drive insights out of it. Make sense? Yeah, I, I think earlier you mentioned uh, that we might touch on hiring with you or finding talent. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to at this point in time, having to get what you just shared, the types of people who are able to build relationships. Um, how do you find talent today? What do you, what do you look for? Yeah, so I look for uh, generally five qualities, uh, and, and uh, they are um, actually they are reasonably specific in their order. So my, um, I, I do assume um, that like me, if everyone's hiring, you hire for certain level of capability. Okay, so if 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 I assume that the person that I'm now looking for, or maybe I'm looking at two candidates, and I'm looking at them, both of them are reasonably well technically qualified, okay? So you assume a high bar on that. After that, the number one thing I look for is attitude. Attitude trumps everything in my mind. And attitude means I would probably take the person who was an A minus versus an A plus player. If I thought the A minus player um, will perform better as a team because I can have a superstar but if they cannot work well with, 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 with others in the team or they're not adaptable, they're just not going to be successful. So I look for attitude first. Uh, second, and this one is tough to judge right away, but it's very, I go with my gut on this, and, and that is, are they trustworthy? So trustworthy is someone you call and, and say, you know, I don't think these numbers are right, or I think, you know, we are having a tough order. What is it that we should do to fix it, right? It, it's trustworthy as the person that you go rely on and say, you know, you, you, you sort of share your, your, your deepest uh, sort of buddies with them. And, and if they come through for you, they are trustworthy. So trustworthy is super important. Um, third is clarity of thought. Um, <clears throat> I, I'd say clarity of thought third and, and fourth, I'll, 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 I'll probably put together which is the ability to set priorities. I am a laser-focused person when it comes to priorities. I, I don't believe that I should, at any given point in time, have more than three to four priorities, right? People can have action items or initiatives to help those priorities, but I never have more than three or four. I always laugh sometimes when I say, I'm a horse with binders on. If I decide and say, these are the three or four priorities that I need to get done, I will then go, and this is my number five, relentless execution of priorities. I don't give up, right? Now, it doesn't mean I don't look around necessarily to see if, if I should um, change those priorities or something else has become more important. However, when I when I find the three or four things which are critical for me for the next four-month period, I just go after them. I don't give up. I, I will execute to them, and I will look back, and I will grade myself. And something I learned way back in my career when I used to go to my CFO, and I go with my own grading chart and, and grade myself, and I would grade myself really tough. So I look for attitude. Trustworthiness, clarity of thought, the ability to set priorities and to relentlessly execute. I know they are very high uh, sort of sounding words, but um, uh, to me, if 
I just had to submit. I can generally, I can, I can most, I can meet a person for about 20, 25 minutes and know if they have the right attitude or not. And, and that to me trips everything. So if I can just summarize, attitude trumps everything in this case. Our next question is uh, designed to have you reflect a little on your personal habits and, and daily routine. And uh, you're in the Bay Area. Uh, it's a uh, pretty much a highly caffeinated place, you know, <laughs> understand. Um, you know, uh, people do workout, people do all sorts of things, but is there anything in your daily routine that you, uh, you, you stop and say, I'm glad I, I, I picked up this habit or, or I'm glad I, I do this on weekends, whatever it might be, anything from the mind? Yeah, so I, I'd say, and this is so uh, typical or maybe almost t-shirt of, of Silicon Valley, but uh, I do, um, uh, I am glad I picked up yoga uh, because anytime I'm feeling very stressed, uh, I do do it regularly, but uh, especially on those days when I'm a little stressed, I will try and squeeze in uh, 30 minutes of yoga. We actually started yoga classes in our, in our, in our office, which started with once a week, and uh, now they are twice a week. Uh, we do have a gym, and a bunch of us obviously go go to the gym uh, and work out. But I say uh, yoga for for sure in terms of clarity of thought. The thing that I would really want to do is, and I did this at my previous firm, is uh, I want an organic juice bar in my office because I think eating uh, <laughs> eating will uh, uh, provide a lot of clarity of thought. So. Um, so I'd say yeah, yoga and, and, and good healthy eating uh, is probably very, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm doing them more now than I used to when I was uh, much younger. Is there a particular fruit or fruit that you uh, you appreciate most uh, this uh, this year than last? Uh, I would say that um, my, my favorite uh, juice, or, or you can do a blend, uh, would be a green smoothie. Uh, most people look at green and say, oh, but um, kale, spinach, uh, cucumbers, uh, and here's the drink, right? Um, put some apple uh, in it, or, or a, maybe half an apple, or a little frozen uh, chunks of pineapple, uh, just for a little sweetness, um, and maybe a little chopped ginger. But um, make sure it's very cold, um, and it's delicious. It, it is delicious. It will look green and healthy, but it is extremely delicious, so uh, maybe give it a try. Before we, uh, we we bump into our final question, uh, Ravi, I want to ask you about mentors one last time. You you made a point of mentioning them a few times in our discussion. Clearly, uh, you put a, a, their importance quite high, I would think, as you build your career. But can you share any additional thoughts you'd like to share, whether how they first arrived in your career, whether it was uh, the first 10 years or the last, uh, what would you share with us? Yeah, for my own uh, mentoring, uh, uh, or, or um, uh, how I found my own mentor was, was just, uh, you know, I happened to be working uh, with the uh, CFO uh, on, on a project together, and I think we just started talking, and she asked me what did I want to do in my career. And like any, I think, young person at that time, I, I kind of said, well, I don't know, maybe I'll become a VP or something, or, and she said, well, do you not want to become a CFO? And I said, yes, I do, but... I haven't thought through that, and um, I think after that, we had a lunch, and we started talking about, here are all the things that you need to do if you want to become a, a good CFO at some point. So, I would say I was lucky. I didn't speak it out, um, but what I have 
uh, I think I learned from that is I think and I hope I've become a mentor to, to a bunch of folks, including uh, people who work for me who are now doing really well. Uh, and um, I'm always open. People uh, people find me on LinkedIn, they call me or otherwise, and I'm always happy to share my insights because uh, I think that at a certain point in your career, uh, especially when you're in the mid part of your career, um, you're faced with a bunch of choices. Um, and many times you can make the wrong ones just because some choices look uh, more attractive at that point than the others. So I know I could have easily just become a corporate development professional, but I knew all along, deep in my heart, I wanted to be a CFO. So uh, I kept on my rotation path. So I'm happy, you know, I think people should seek out folks who have done the journey. I know every journey is going to be unique. But I can guarantee you that there are going to be elements that will apply to everyone's life uh, because in our careers, there are definitely certain similarities uh, of, of uh, the choices that we make. So, um, uh, yeah, seek out, uh, seek out a good mentor for sure. Or maybe different mentors at different points in your life. I mean, not the same person needn't be a mentor for you for life. Well, we're up to our, our final question, Robbie, and I did uh, throw quite a few extra questions your way. So, thank you so much for. Uh, for answering my questions, and we'd like to finally ask you to look forward and uh, tell us uh, over the next 12 months, what will be your priorities as a finance? Well, I would summarize it in uh, just one word, uh, uh, or two words, and it's uh, driving growth. Uh, we, are, we have been investing, uh, and we have invested in all the right areas we think. And now the focus is just relentless execution to drive growth for this business because uh, uh, we are in an industry uh, that has secular growth around it. We've got the right technologies, we've got the right investments. Now it's just making sure we keep our focus, lose our focus, and drive growth. Bobby Chopra, thank you for joining us on the Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.